Welcome to Creative Innovators with Gigi Johnson. In this episode, you will get to meet Christopher Hope. How does one meet a great creative innovator? Oh, I guess over barbecue at South by Southwest in Austin, Texas. Christopher and I met and started talking about the Loop Lab, which he runs in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we have kept in touch as he moves this entity forward based on a really unique set of passions. So enjoy his conversation about his driven passion about Loop Lab, but also where he sees the opportunities and challenges in being a creative innovator with both a creative background and an activism background to make a change in his creative community. So our focus at the Loop Lab is really training women and people of color for jobs in AV and media arts fields and really connecting them to work. And so in essence, we are a nonprofit that's BIPOC-led, so it's mostly people of color, Um, you know, a nonprofit that specializes in providing media arts internships and digital storytelling. Our mission is really geared towards empowering women and people of color in the professional media arts to develop careers in audio video through job training and job placement. So you are in Cambridge, Massachusetts? That's correct. We are based in Cambridge. We started in Cambridge in 2017. Uh, Our co-founder, Moses Michelle, and, and myself started the Loop Lab. And really, we wanted to take the need for urban youth to have a creative outlet in media and in music, and then really created a cool holistic program that empowers them to become more self-effective in their personal and professional lives and really works to connect them to real education and work pipelines that the idea is ultimately creating opportunities that are sustainable. So when you say media arts, what do you mean? So the broad spectrum of folks that are working in the professional media arts, either as contractors or even as W-2 employees, I mean, it runs the spectrum of exposing folks to everything from sound engineering, music production, to sound editing, podcasting, for example, professionally, and also video production. So understanding pre-production, project management, being in the field to do video capture, post-production editing on Adobe Premiere, uh, sending out invoices. They also learn what it's like to be a contractor because nine times out of 10, a majority of the, the consultants or folks that are working out there as contractors, they have to have skills on what it's like to create a proposal. What is it like to be a W-9 worker? Those are really pivotal and important skills that most of our universities are not teaching. How to get paid on an invoice that's past due. That is correct. And, and, <laughs> and that's it. And that is, it's a life. And we do our best to really empower young adults of color and women that are highly underrepresented in the film industry, as well as in the various uh, permutations of the audio industry, to really be prepared to have their business skills elevated. We partner with a regional bank here in Boston called uh, Eastern Bank. And they do a series of financial education modules that talks about personal budgeting, budgeting for a project, all of these really important skills that many of the young adults that we work with, unfortunately, just did not have the, the, uh, the, the advantage of really being immersed in. And so it's a free program. They get paid to do the program. And then after six months of hands-on training 
and going through the curriculum with financial education and business skills, we put them on to apprenticeships. And some of our partners include our uh, in Boston, our national public radio station called WBUR. We also have a partnership with Audible, Amazon Audible, which is a, a major corporate partner. And we're also strategic in making sure we've developed local uh, partnerships with local agencies and, and nonprofits that have media content needs, such as that small nonprofit that needs a media coordinator to produce content for their Instagram, YouTube, social media, to really talk about their mission and work. And so these young adults are going in the field and they're getting that, that hands-on work. In addition to doing this placement, we also run and operate a production studio where we hire our alumni to actually, we contract our alumni to go into the field and actually f- do video services. And so we work with uh, national organizations, local Boston organizations on several different kinds of projects. And so it's a way for them to get paid in the field and for us to be an employer to directly put people of color, to put women in these spaces where they're highly underrepresented directly. And also it's a way for us to sustain our practice because we generate almost 30% of our own revenue as an organization from the production studio. Christopher, are are you originally from Cambridge? No, I'm originally from Atlanta, Georgia. Um, it's very, very different environment. However, I came to Cambridge as a young college student, like thousands and thousands of others every year. And in the midst of my work there, I was all, I've always been passionate about equity. You know, as, as someone who came from Atlanta, Mar- the, the, the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and his fight for justice and equity on behalf of American-born Blacks in this country has always been influential in my family and in my community coming up. And so my, my, both of my parents, you know, are, are, are from the North. They're from, uh, well, my mom's from New York, my dad's from Boston, but they settled in Atlanta. And so for me coming up as a young Black male in, in a very, um, how should I say, divisive time and in a very divisive environment, it was really important to do what I could to promote the dream of Dr. King and talking about a beloved community. And so when I came to Cambridge, you know, it's the city that has Harvard University, MIT, some of the top software companies in the country. They even call it Little Silicon Valley because you just have billions and billions of dollars in equity represented in these institutions. And people tend to think of Cambridge as a wealthy it community is, as a result. It absolutely is. It's very, very much a lot of wealth. And, 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 you know, you have the most highest number of Nobel Prize winners within a, uh, a, mile square, a mile square radius than any other location in the world. Having said that, I started really early on as, as a college student doing community work. And I started to acknowledge some of the inequities that existed in the city. So in a city where you have Amazon Audible and where you have the headquarters for Google and you have some of these major billion dollar companies and universities, you literally have a project, a series of project developments right across the street um, from MIT, essentially. And that neighborhood is called the Port neighborhood, P-O-R-T. And that neighborhood historically has been a, a you know a immigrant based community. Um, now it's mostly people from Latin America and the Caribbean. But, you know, unfortunately, you have so many families that are living below the poverty line 
we're talking about people that have households that are making less than $14,000 a year. And it just was staggering to see that firsthand in the needs of, of people right across the street from the people that have so much wealth and so much opportunity. And so uh, when I graduated, I started doing a lot of activism, food drives. I was active through a church in that community called the Pentecostal Tabernacle. Huge shout out to Bishop Brian Green. And through that relationship, I became a mentor to some of the young black and brown men and women in that community, really trying to do what I can to stop the school to prison pipeline for many of them. And unfortunately, just like any other impoverished community, you see a lot of crime. They have the most unsolved murders uh, in that neighborhood than in any other neighborhood in Cambridge. And it's all, all the victims are all young black men. And so after a while, you see this stuff go on and on. You say to yourself, what can we do? Like, what, what can we do? What can I do? How can I exercise my agency to cause a difference in this community. Were you involved in arts and media arts in high school, in your curriculum in college? What was the story there? Yeah, absolutely. I've been do I've been producing music since I was 14 years old in Atlanta in my mom's, you know, basement. Like I I've always been into music. I, I'm a huge lover of all kinds of music and I became a DJ on the side as I was pursuing my educational pursuits. And, uh, you know, during a time when I was a teenager, I really wanted to be a professional rapper. I mean, I was doing all of the concerts and I was opening up for Bow Wow at one point. I was doing I was actually legitimately had an interest in doing that. And then I realized that's not where my gifting totally was. And so ultimately, I didn't decide to go into being a hip hop artist or rapper. And it just exposed me to being an artist. So I still produce music for local artists. It's something that's a hobby. It's more, it's less of a, um, a vocation, but more of a calling, if you will. And so music has always been in my life. I also have DJed uh, for many years, and I've also worked as a DJ at local radio stations here in Boston. Um, I worked at WMBR, which is at MIT, WHRB at Harvard University. I had a, a radio station called Hip Hope Radio for several years. And that radio station, I would interview people like Dr. Cornell West, Tennessee Coates, uh, Rakim from Eric B and Rakim, other folks to really talk about hip hop culture in a very dynamic way. And so media has always been a part of my life, part of my passion, part of my calling. And I saw a lot of that passion in a lot of these young 18, 20, 25 year old young adults I began mentoring in Cambridge. So as a way to really try to reach them, I would bring them to the studio during my, my radio show and they would get to un honestly see how to work a control board. I, they would get to see that you don't just go into an interview without knowing exactly who you're interviewing that, you know, it was researched. They were like, wow, what is the, what are all those books? It's because you do your research before. And, and so they saw essentially from start to finish how to put on a radio show. And I did that as an opportunity to mentor, but also because most of them were are aspiring rappers and hip hop artists. And then in the midst of that, I realized, wow, if you are able to meet people where they are, their interests are, you can expand their myopic viewpoint and they can see the possibilities. So maybe you see yourself as the hip hop star. Well, it becomes that much more important for you to also learn how to sound engineer 
and why you need to know your way around Pro Tools. You can't just leave that up to another person to be able to do that. You should also have those skills, that skill, have that skill set. And did you know that there is an entire career that if you do things the right way, you can make an honest, great living just doing that? So when your hip hop music isn't popping like you want it to, you have something else to fall back on. So let me ask you about college. So you were in Atlanta deciding that you wanted to go beyond music. What inspired you to do what in college? And what did you get out of that experience other than being in Cambridge and doing all this great work? Yeah, I, I went into college originally for my undergrad and bi- biology, actually. I really was interested in uh, microbiology. I was on a whole completely different trajectory in that term. Um, but doing that, I, I found myself not feeling fulfilled. I found myself more interested in religious studies um, and how religion and sociology impacts our society and impacts behaviors. And so for me, it was really like, hmm, you know, I have a decision to make here. Is this something that I want to continue pursuing, knowing that uh, it's not necessarily something I feel called to, or do I want to explore this other thing? And so I ended up exploring uh, the religious studies aspect of it. And so I pursued, after graduating with a bachelor's at Tufts University, I pursued an MDiv, Master of Divinity, at several universities. And sure enough, I was accepted into Harvard Divinity School. Huge shout out to Harvard Divinity. And that kept me in the area, kept me in Cambridge, but or close to Cambridge. Um, however, it really put me in a space where I, I could do ministry. I could minister to people and empower my, my trajectory, empower myself. And so just trusting in the calling, trusting in the path ultimately has led me to what I'm doing now, even though it's not necessarily quote unquote church work, or I'm not a priest, it's still work that's fulfilling and you're really supporting the whole person. It's not just talking about workforce development. It's really talking about human development and doing what you can to successfully steward people into a place of restoration. When did you graduate with your divinity degree? Uh, 2011. So you started or co-started Loop Labs in 2017. What was the journey then that got you from completing your degree to realizing what was, what steps did you take on the path? You know, it's, it's so funny. You often don't know the path you know, more than two steps ahead of you when you graduate from grad school. Some people are blessed and they have a job right out of uh, grad school. I did have a job out of grad school, but and I had several jobs out of grad school. And now I look back, each of those jobs that I had helped me ultimately to do what I, I'm doing now, which is founding, leading a growing startup nonprofit social enterprise. And so I, you know, I worked for the city of Cambridge as an outreach worker, worked as a minister for Pentecostal Tabernacle, doing work in the community there through their outreach and community engagement. I worked as a behavioral health coordinator for a local health, um, health center. And also I worked as essentially a violence interrupter for uh, the city of Cambridge, which put, put me in space, in spaces where Ultimately, I, I would talk to 18 to 35-year-olds who were unfortunately running the streets, doing all kinds of street crime activities, 
and do what I can to give them access to social needs and social opportunities that can improve their lives. Right after that particular role, I ended up um, being recruited into a national nonprofit. I can't say the name, but it's a national nonprofit dedicated to workforce development for you know 18 to, to 30 year olds. And I worked as a director of admissions doing that work. In my time in doing that work at this workforce development organization, we would enroll students, uh, young adults of color mostly, from all parts of greater Boston to be either in finance or to be in IT. And in the midst of doing that, I just unfortunately saw a lot of systemic racism on the leadership level, on the management level. I saw also many of the young adults who were just being treated like cat chattel. Uh, they, you know, they were just numbers, really. It was really kind of like, a, uh, in many ways, a glorified temp agency in that their labor was just getting contracted out. You can imagine upper management didn't appreciate uh, some of that feedback. And I was essentially handed my hat and told to, to walk off. Um, that was the best thing that happened to me because it enabled me to have a period of time where I got a severance package I could really think about what is the next step? Like, what is the right way to do this? I've identified the wrong way or a way that is not fruitful for the most people. How would I do this? And that's when, you know, my mentee, Moses Michelle, I brought, I started talking with him. And then that's when we started talking to other young adults. Uh, and, and through that, through those interviews, over a hundred interviews with young adults of color, you know, we, two things that came up consistently was people wanted more economic opportunity and they wanted more creative outlets. And so from that, the seed of the Loop Lab really came to fruition. One of my mentors, who used to be the president of a fairly major company, gave me an insight years ago when I was teaching at the business school at UCLA uh, that oftentimes being fired is the best thing you can do for somebody that there is a misfit and it may be that that they they can blossom doing other work instead of having them do stuff where they're unhappy here you had learning though from um the friction in the work right the the misplacement gave you inspiration and also economic lift to, to be able to step forward is that something you've seen working and part of the story that you're telling and talking with young people about is the fact that not all jobs fit and not all activities are positive? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we're preparing people for the workplace. And I think that even though not all jobs fit or all roles fit, I, I do think that for the person to be successful, you have to be able to look through and do an autopsy of what happened really and what's really going on and, you know, have a level of getting outside of yourself and understanding, okay, what have I learned out of all of this? What are the things that I really should take away that can move my, my movement, my mission, a professional focus and personal focus forward? Um, oftentimes, it, when you are a person of color in the corporate environment, you are a minority, you're underrepresented in, in those spaces, and the higher up the management chain you go, more than likely you know, you, you'll see less and less people that look like you. 
And that's just the reality of, of the way that this country operates holistically. You know, it's not just a, this region type of thing in Boston. It's all over. And I think that when you're teaching and mentoring young people of color, you have to do what you can to empower them to stay true to their heritage, stay true to themselves and, their, and, and who they are and acknowledge the navigation that has to happen as they're navigating culturally through um, the corporate environment and the values of these corporate environments. You know, so for folks that are being told certain things that they can't wear certain things or their hair can't be a certain kinds of way, those are things that, you know, maybe you had people doing code switching two generations ago or a generation ago. But these millennials now, like this Generation Z or however you frame them, these 18 to 26 year olds, they don't want to hear it. What they, uh, I think, a broad, on a more broad, broader level, most of them are very entrepreneurial. They, yes, they understand the need for stability and they're out there creating. They're out there trying to get their own. They're not, you know, trying to follow necessarily the rules of any uh, major institution like that. And so what makes our program unique is that we have three outcomes. One outcome is higher education, which is, again, very traditional. It's the idea that, you know, there's a barrier for many folks to go to college and to obtain a bachelor's or an associate's degree. And a huge part of that barrier, as we all know, is financial. And so we have deals with local colleges and universities that not only take completion of our program as college credit, but they also offer a scholarship. So Leslie School of Art and Design, which has an amazing BFA in digital filmmaking, we have an MOU with them where our program accounts for 30 college courses worth of credit. And in addition to that, we, there's op- opportunity for folks to get a scholarship. And so for someone who is coming in already with a little bit of college background in, under their, their belt, that is a huge leg up in cutting down the expenses of college. We also partner with a technical school, Benjamin Franklin Institute of Technology, through our AV technology program. And in that partnership, it's been amazing because they give a full year of free dual enrollment. You know, we had a student this year, Nico Manigat, who took that route did our program and Benjamin Franklin. He already has some college credit under his belt. And, you know, the idea for him is to get his associate's degree within a year, you know, to get your associate's Mm -hmm. degree for free in a year is mind blowing. Um, But for our young adults, those are the opportunities we try to open up. But not just the degree, I was going to say, but not just the degree, but the skills that go with it. Absolutely. So much kids will come out with an AA and they really don't have any practical skills to walk out the door with that you're giving them a dual gift. That's it. They're getting the, they're getting the apprenticeship. They're getting on the job training and they can go walk in with certifications, walk in with this degree and say, I know my stuff. Because in some places, as you and I both know, you can have the, the degree but you may not know how to, for example, work your way uh, in a fast-paced uh, media environment where you have to do a quick tono- turnover for content and doing post-production editing and with Adobe Premiere Suite. Uh, uh, you know, you, but you have the degree, which looks nice. But there's just a lot of folks out there that can do that. They might not have the degree. And so we also advocate with employers to really think about – their job descriptions and the requirements and to try to flex where they can on some of that. Cause some of that is just antiquated old ways of thinking, you know, as far as who can do this kind of work 
As far as the second outcome, we focus on workforce, getting people into the workforce and getting them jobs. So not only are we placing people in apprenticeships where many of them are getting hired by the company later on after the apprenticeship, we also hire our folks and contract them to do video work. And so these young adults are getting paid up to $22 an hour to do this work, above livable wage here in Boston. And it's just an amazing opportunity uh, for them to put money in their pockets, but also continue gaining more skills and building out their portfolio. The third outcome is really nurturing entrepreneurship. Our young adults, as I mentioned before, many of them want to have a side business, and it's not uncommon for folks in this younger generation to have a side gig going, whether that's having their own video production thing or their own photography business where they're, you know, taking wet, you know, doing photos um, at weddings and bar mitzvahs and et cetera, et cetera. And so that's a way for them to generate income on a flexible level while maybe maintaining a full-time job, or they can decide to just do their, their own business all to, all together. So we actually walk through with them how to get your business incorporated. What, you know, what are the different business types? You know, what is the process? We even pay for their application to apply for a business. In addition to that, we partner with other organizations that can empower them. So we partner with LISC Boston, which is a national nonprofit, but they actually have a, a regional office in Boston where they nominate grants up to $10,000 for small black and black and brown led businesses. And so we, for example, this year nominated one of our young adults uh, through that partnership, Tevin Charles, who got essentially um, a $10,000 grant to start his own video production team um, and, and also a clothing line. And this, and literally as we're talking, he just went to LA because he's doing, he's working there now doing media there. So these are the types of opportunities that we open up and, and we have a hundred percent guarantee of an outcome as long as the, the student is willing and ready to work with us. And what we're finding more and more is that students are, you know, they're not only graduating, starting their own business, but they're also working part-time or full-time somewhere. The, some are, you know, they, they went back to school, but in addition to that, they're doing some photography on the side to generate money and they're, they have their business uh, incorporated. So we're seeing a mix of folks playing around with some of the outcomes. But, you know, being able to free up ourselves based on the interest of where uh, the young adults are rather than trying to bring them somewhere else has been, I think, a, a winning strategy for us. Um, I, I extended the opportunities just outside of uh, a certain community and was able to connect with folks nationally, internationally. You know, we that year I met you, we were invited to go to the United Nations. And we went to the United Nations headquarters to talk about this initiative and meeting diplomats from all over the world, telling me that the model that we were ushering in was something that they were interested in Barbados, interested in this in South Africa. They want to see something like this in, 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 in Uruguay. Though that really allowed us to play in different uh, playgrounds, right? Like then, then going to South by Southwest and meeting you and meeting others. It extended our reach, extended our supports. And, you know, not just to something that's uh, necessarily local, even though we're acting locally, we're thinking globally. What is the challenge and opportunity of scale, right? right. So that, that 
you kind of are, I tend to come back to the concept of the, the superhero that you've got real hero skills that come to bear for this. And it's hard to duplicate, duplicate a Christopher Hope necessarily, but then you're also walking into the maelstrom that is COVID-19 where you have a live program that you're suddenly having to shift gears. And we talked before we started the recording on the fact that you actually are building scale at this time. Can you talk about that kind of virtualization and also the need for this in more than just your backyard of Cambridge? Absolutely. So, you know, scale, you know, can be vertical, it can be horizontal, but I think that, you know, planning out your strategy, like we have, you know, two, three years out, is advantageous because it gives you an idea, the D of scale. So, you know, there's so many ways that you can grow what you're doing. But for me, I always start with mission. What is our mission? Empowering young adults of color and women to enter the media arts and AV industries through training and internships, right? And so for me, we're not Burger King or or we're not like McDonald's. We're not selling real estate because really that's what they are. Those aren't food companies. Those are real estate companies, to be honest with you. Um, you know, you, you have to know what you, what it is that you do. And for us, what we do is we do program. So it, it makes sense for us to make sure that that program is accessible, not only in, our, uh, in greater Boston, but potentially around the world. And so the scale for us, you know, very much, you know, there's options, it, just like it's options for other programs that do similar kinds of work. You know, one thing is, like, you know, and these are questions that leaders are having all over the country, I'm sure. You know, does scale look like for us codifying our program and making it available online or in, in, in addition to some teaching and training for other organizations after school programs and schools to adopt as their curriculum, right? Or, you know, do we just basically build out and capacity for instructors and contracting constructors to then teach this stuff online uh, to group different groups and different schools and different after school entities. So there's obviously different ways you can look at it. But ultimately, for me, it all comes back to like, are we fulfilling the mission? And and at the end of the day, what we do is very dynamic. It is, I feel like with the media arts internship piece of what we do, which is the, again, having those young adults 18 to 26 years old and working with them, that is a lot harder to scale, I think, than like the virtual programming we're doing for high school students. Um, only because so that, that work often is very hands-on and certain things in video, you just, you have to be in a space to learn it. You have to just do it to learn it. And, and, even though we provide equipment and we can provide the virtual access to certain uh, resources for folks to follow us to do a lot of this stuff, um, some of this stuff it just requires for you to be in a space. And so those are you know questions that right now our board is currently mulling over and and thinking about um, when we talk about the next phase of where this is going because we've already scaled from five students to thirty. You know the next three years, it could look like, you know, going into the hundreds. Um, But either way, we want to do this wisely and at a pace that is organic and won't uh, allow us to unfortunately get too much ahead of ourselves. 
So tell us a little more about the virtual programs and how that's working and how that's getting launched with high school age kids. So earlier this year, you know, when COVID happened, COVID lockdown, as you can imagine, everywhere around around the country had a major impact on business, on the performing arts, on every permutation of society, essentially. And it was a tragic and it still is a tragic situation. And it's, it's dangerous, especially for nonprofits that are doing this kind of work. So for me as an innovator, for me as a leader, in the midst of that, I validate and acknowledge all of the terrible things that were happening and are happening. And a part of me, because of my mindset, is thinking, where are the opportunities? So for our production studio, very quickly, almost overnight, we ended up actually promoting a lot of our live streaming and broadcasting services. And so through that, what ended up happening was you have a lot of nonprofits that at the end of the day still need to have that spring gala. They still need to have that fall gala to to actually generate revenue, even though they can't do it in person. And so we, we we are hired as consultants to help them with that work and to actually do the work. You know, if you're an organization that still needs to sell whatever you sell, you're still going to need media content doing that. Um, and, and, and getting that media content as fast as possible. So interestingly enough, we saw an increase to 20% in demand for our services in this region. And that really was a, 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 a good thing for the business uh, and also good for you know, helping out smaller nonprofits. You know, sometimes we would offer free services just because we want to see a lot of those small, smaller nonprofits win. So we would do a lot of broadcasting for those small organizations that are really just trying to keep their head above water at this time. Similarly, I said, where are the opportunities in our program? Our physical location that's based in Cambridge is essentially uh, a smaller office space where we do a lot of video production and editing, and we're limited to really up to five students per cohort because of the size itself. Without Again, everything with everything on lockdown, we quickly shifted to an all virtual uh, curriculum. You know, we, we we did not stop our, our our current cohort. Everything during the lockdown happened during the middle of a cohort, and so the question came up: Is now that the program is virtual, are we just limited to five students anymore? And so that's when we started getting calls from the cities of Cambridge and the cities of Boston to say, hey. You know, everything's happened with COVID. We usually have uh, a certain amount of employers through our workforce development company or programming to work with. But now because of COVID, those companies are on lockdown. Would you be interested in creating original programming for our, our high school students? And so that just opened up a door for us, which is still going. We, we've hired instructors. We've actually hired our alumni to run that program. And again, kind of continuing the loop lab, the circle, the loop, you know, now our alumni who've graduated the program, they've gone on, they're successful. Now they're, te- they're, they're they've gone forward to teach, um, you know, the, the, the programmatic pieces to, to these young 14 to 19 year olds. And so really looking at the opportunities in addition to validating the pain, the hardships um, are, I think, critical during this time to be, to stay innovative. Christopher, this has been a great conversation and we are near the end. What have we not talked about that you'd want to share with others? 
I think that, uh, you know, this is the, the world, you know, post COVID is looking very differently. And I want to encourage folks that in the midst of all of that's happening, really continue to try to have an opportunity and a creative mindset about all of these areas of our lives that are just changing day to day. You know, I think part of being an innovator is seeing things that other people don't see necessarily. And that's okay. If people don't see your vision, that's, that's, that's fine. But if you see your vision and you believe in it, you really, it becomes upon, it becomes encompassing upon you to move forward with it, to make it happen, to leverage support for that vision, to bring it to fruition. You know, with me, you know, in the next several years, the the Loop Lab and the mission of the Loop Lab is only going to continue to grow. And I will say larger than just the Loop Lab, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a human being, you know, I'm, I don't equate myself with the Loop Lab, right? But I do equate my own personal mission with the Loop Lab. And so what I mean by that is my personal mission is to advance equity in the lives of underrepresented communities in society. And so that could mean homeless people, that could mean um, people of color, that could mean any underrepresented community in, in, in so many spaces of our society. And I think that the Loop Lab for me is an extension of that. And so I think that as you're moving forward as leaders, thinking intentionally about what your mission is, what you are called to do. And when I mean a call, that calling, it's an inner knowingness, it's creative intuition right? There's something that you keep coming back to and you don't know why. Um, I think continuing to exercise that, continuing to stimulate that, continuing to engage what that part of you is, will be paramount to, con- to thriving and, and, and obtaining success during this, this new reality that we're in. Christopher, as usual, fabulous talking with you. Who would you like to reach out to you from listening to this and how would you like them to reach out? Absolutely. I, I the, the, the extension for anyone and everyone to, who wants to learn more about the Loop Lab, our mission uh, to advance equity in the professional media arts is, is out there. So if you are interested in learning more about what we can do, uh, how maybe we can even impact your community, um, whether that's training, providing training, uh, you know, sharing uh, information, I, I'm open and willing to talk to anyone. My email address is chope at thelooplab.org and our website is www.thelooplab.org. So at any time, please reach out if you want to learn more about our mission and or you want to just seek a conversation and see how we may be able to do uh, some production services for you. Excellent. And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Christopher, marvelous talking and May your work continue to thrive. So that was Christopher. Could you do something like that in your own community? Or would you like to help Christopher with his work? Please reach out to Christopher. His contact information is in the show notes. And let us know at creativeinnovatorspodcast.com how you might do something more with somebody like Christopher or bring something like this into your community. How can we help you? Be a creative innovator in your own backyard. Thanks for listening to Creative Innovators. We are expanding our footprint 
So we invite you to go to creativeinnovatorspodcast.com and find us on Substack, where we are creating a new matrix of our past shows that you can find them more easily and find them along with the career adventure guide content, where you can take your own career and use some of the tools in the setup to both be inspired by past episodes of Creative Innovators, as well as become a bigger and better creative innovator yourself. We're also launching in a couple of other platforms this year. So stay tuned and join our lists and and find out where else you can find and combine with creative innovators in 2024.